Learn something new every day, and that, that is when your backup guy leading worship is not feeling well and sick, don't needle him or uh, tease him before he leads worship, because he might threaten to make you lead worship instead. So uh, pray for Don as he's battling a cold, and for the rest of our worship team, as many of them are traveling, visiting their moms, once again, happy Mother's Day to you. And I've got to make a disclosure up front. I am very much a nonconformist when it comes to church. And so quite frankly, you're lucky that we're even halfway as traditional as we are here. Uh, but, and you don't realize this, but it's really tough for me, like Christmas, Easter, and Mother's Day to deliver a traditional sermon on those days because I really much want to poke very much want to poke the bear and like find the most obscure scripture in all the Bible and preach it on those days just to see if you guys like, are you willing to go with me there or do we have to, to follow tradition? But some traditions are pretty good. Uh, I'm preaching in pants today rather than shorts, so you're not being blinded by my white chicken legs. So I, 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 with love, I do certain things. And one of the things that I do do is I love honoring moms, uh, even on a Mother's Day where it might be difficult for some of you. And though this morning's sermon um, is targeted to moms, it's definitely a much broader reach. There's no one in here today that the passage that we're going to go over can't touch your heart and life and really change you and expose you maybe very, to the very first time of who God is and what he's done. It's not just this general teaching or preaching, but we're going to look at the God of history today, of what God has actually done in real history. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn them to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, if, if you have a Bible sitting in the chair next to you, it's in the kind of the front part of the Bible. It's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book in the Bible. We call it a book, but it is a passage of Scripture that was recorded and was held as Scripture from the earliest days, many thousands of years ago. The setting here today um, is about 3,500 years ago, roughly. But the situation that will be laid out for you, I hope, uh, we'll connect with you today. The title of the book is Deuteronomy. Uh, it's often referred to as the second law, but it's not the second law. That the, our English Bible takes that word or that title for the book from the Latin Vulgate, which is an early translation of, of the scriptures into Latin. The Hebrew scriptures describe or entitle this book, These Are the Words. And that's a tradition, just taking the first few verses out of the book itself as the title. So these are the words. It's not the second time. I don't know if you grew up in a house like I did where my mom would constantly say, how many times do I have to tell you? And uh, I would always kind of just shrug my shoulders and maybe pick up my shoes because it was the thousandth time my mom had told me to pick up my shoes. But as I got older, I kind of got a little snarky. And I would just simply sit there and go, well, apparently one more time than you have and uh, just ignore her. And sometimes when we come to church, we're kind of like that. It's like, well, I've heard this before, Scott, and it's not really going to impact me. I'm just going to sit in my seat and listen to what you say while I'm waiting on lunch. That's really all I'm going to do this morning. Well, I want to encourage you to open up your hearts and really listen, maybe for the hundredth time, if you've never been in a church in a long time, but you were as a kid and you gave it up and you're here today, I pray that you do open your hearts and listen to what God has to say. We're going to quickly go through the entire book of Deuteronomy, or rather the entire chapter of Deuteronomy 
six, not the entire book. I almost scared you there. Uh, but the setting is this. Um, God created the world, Adam and Eve, mankind rebelled. God judged the world, sin of floods, saved a rem- remnant of people known as Noah and his family. You may have heard of that story. The, then mankind expanded across the earth. He became evil again. And, and God instituted a plan that he had from the very beginning and chose a man by the name of Abraham and his descendants through whom he would eventually send a savior into the world named Jesus. And it's this history of those descendants that's traced out in the Old Testament. You may be familiar with the the nation or the people group called Israel. Well, they started out as a group called Hebrews and they were enslaved in Egypt in history And under a particular Egyptian ruler, after a time where Egyptian uh, kings or pharaohs had actually controlled the land of Palestine, God moved in an amazing way and saved his people out of Israel. And they were in the desert, in the wilderness, where he was leading them for about 40 years. And as they're just ready to come into this land that God had promised them, a land for that particular time in history that no other powerful nations actually were really controlling. There were some small nation states in what we know as modern Israel. And they're sitting there on the border and they're about ready to come in. And this people group, they were former slaves. That's, that's their claim to fame. They weren't powerful. They didn't have a military. They didn't have all this uh, stuff, all this technology. They were pretty much living in tents and helpless when you think of a people or a nation today. They didn't have institutions. They didn't even have homes. As I just mentioned, they were living in tents. And they're standing there. And what God does to do, or what he does to prepare them to go into the land is not sit down and go, all right, we're going to have your leaders explain to you this military campaign that we're about to do. He doesn't do that. He doesn't explain to them the educational system that they should build. He doesn't explain to them the infrastructure that they're going to need to build or, or to acquire. He doesn't do any of that. It's really quite surprising. You have all these people that are just helpless, essentially. They have no king. They have no military, um, nothing. And they're gathered there. They'd followed God out of the promised land. Their, their parents, who had followed originally, disobeyed. They mostly died. So it's this new generation that has been raised up in the wilderness. And they're trying to figure out, who is our, our God? Who are we? What are we going to do? And I don't know where you're at today. As you've arrived here, somehow, in some way, in God's providence, at Blue Mountain Baptist Church, at, at 1030 on a Sunday morning on Mother's Day, But whatever your history is, it can start new today. The Israelites had this long history already at that point in time. But they had to decide. And God was going to give them something that was entirely unexpected. At least looking at it from the wisdom of this world. He gives them a leader who preaches them a message now, of all things, and I, I appreciate you being here today, that you, you hear a message in a, what's called a sermon in our, our modern lingo. But quite frankly, if you're about to do what they're going to do, you would think this is about the last place that you'd be spending your time. Gathered together, listening to a message. You'd be trying to gather up fuel, supplies, whatever you can imagine 
that you would need to go in and conquer our land. And yet this was the most important thing that this God of creation, this God of history, this God of redemption, saving the people out of Egypt, had for them at that moment in time. So let's open it up and begin in verse 1. This is Moses preaching to the people, Israel. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it. So the very first thing, he's saying, I'm going to tell you something, but it's pointless if you don't do it. Right off the bat. This isn't just for an encouragement. This isn't, boy, we're going to get together and worship and have a party. I'm about to tell you something you need to do. And, and if you're hearing that in that audience, you're thinking, well, all right. What sort of strategy do you want to lay out for us that we're going to conquer these peoples, that we can have success? And in verse 2, he says, that you may fear your Lord. So it's not necessarily an external strategy but he's giving them these commandments that they might do, that they might fear. In the Old Testament, fear is honor or love or worship or even this aspect of fear, this holy righteousness that there is this God who is in control and that we are to worship Him. That you might fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. So even as he's laying this out for them, he has in mind the generations to come. So as Scripture was written to an audience 3,500 years ago, God had in mind His plan of salvation. You, even here today. It was written to them and kept for us, but He also had us in mind when He wrote it. He had generations in mind. And how often have you heard this? Well, I love my kids and I'm going to raise them up, but I'm going to let them choose whether or not they go to church. I'm going to let them choose whether or not they believe in God. Do you do that with them brushing their teeth? Do you do that with them like wearing their clothes? The lady who was speaking here, Julie, did a great job yesterday. They, the women had a tea here in, in, in our church, and she shared this story of what is some of the craziest mother stories that you've ever heard. She asked some of her friends, and one of the stories that was shared with her was that her kid didn't want to get dressed in the morning and wanted to just go to school naked, and she decided to call the kid's bluff and let the kid get in the car pretty much naked. And she's driving to school, and she's like, this kid's calling my bluff. And she's about to pull up to school with the kid naked in the car. And on the way, she's thinking, all right, he's, he's not breaking. What am I do? And she starts rolling down the windows to try to freeze him out. And, and that still doesn't get him. Finally, just a few blocks from school, he begins to put on his clothes because he's going to be embarrassed. We don't raise our kids and just let them choose anything they want. Moses says this, you teach your kids this commandment. Not only you teach them that, but you know it and do it. And you see, they will see it lived out and you relay it to them. They might not understand it, and you'll get to that here in just a minute. They might not fully grasp all those different things, but you tell them anyway when they're young and you build them up. This formula for raising kids, and kids can be complicated, at its very core, God desires it's His Word lived out, not just taught. 
He says, you, your sons and your sons' sons, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. I know some parents have started strong. But did they finish the race? Well, there have probably been a few bumps along the road. And maybe even today, this is the first time you've been back in church in a long time. Maybe you have kids and, and, and you don't even have access to your kids anymore because of hurts and, and, and disagreements and family issues. Don't give up. Wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, you can still make a connection sharing God's amazing word with them, his hope, his promises. Verse 3, Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, and lamb flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This great verse in the Bible that is core and central to Judaism even today. But right in this next passage of Scripture is our focal passage today. Yes, we acknowledge the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But what should be our response to that? Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mights. I gotta tell you, this life is filled with enough stuff that it will distract you from that. You can even begin to look at, at worship and coming to church as religion and legalism. And it's just a bunch of commands. I've heard people even look at the Bible and go, well, that's just the word. Uh, people, are, you guys are like worshiping that. It's, it's more about emotion. They kind of miss the fact that the very reason why they're saved or they even know God desires to love them and they should love God is that word. This idea of loving God laid out before us is love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your might, with all your heart. It is the full encompassing of all that you are. No, it's, it's just not your heart, your feelings. Or in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew mind, that was actually where your mind was located. So it wasn't just an intellectual love. With all your might, he's not talking about a physical might here. You may be in a spot today where it's really hard to even love God, but you have to make a decision of the will to keep plugging away at it. Because something in your life is so overwhelming, so hard that you're just going, you know what? I don't feel like even being here today but I'm going to make a choice because I know there is a God. And though I don't feel it today, He is our hope. He is our Savior and Redeemer. And I'm going to choose to endure. I'm going to choose to persevere because there is going to be a better day. And you'll notice in here, the, the Lord's going to bless them, but He's never going to promise that he's, they're going to have it easy. Never. They're going to have to fight. They're going to have to take steps of faith. They're going to have to do all sorts of things, but God is there. In this solid foundation of this love, in totality, is the greatest command according to Jesus in the New Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, or with all your mind. Do you love God today? Do you even know the God of the Bible, the God of history, the God of creation? 
Because He loves you. And you begin to see in this passage of Scripture how He operates with the people that He loves. Today, we have the the knowledge 2,000 years ago that this promise, these, these people through whom God would bring a Savior to the entire world, God so loved us that He sent His one and only Son to die for us, to pay for our sins, yours and mine, that whoever believes in Him would have eternal life, have their sins forgiven, but have a life abundantly now while we await for His return or someday we be with Him in heaven. This God loves man. Well, He continues and He says this, And these words that I can't command to you today shall be on your heart. Is that where you just take the Bible and you just like put it right here? <laughs> no, it's actually you hide God's word in your heart and you might understand that, but do we do that? Verse 7, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you get the impression that kind of his sermon, he wanted them to remember it? Just maybe? <laughs> Just kind of? Can we be honest though? In your family, or in any family that you know, does this occur? When you walk out of church today, and after you spend maybe like a few minutes, maybe talking about the sermon today, Will your week, this coming week, be filled with God's Word as you walk along the way, as you lie down, and as you rise? Will God's Word guide you as like, this is what I'm going to do? Or have you substituted that with your opinions, your dreams, your likes, your dislikes? I don't know of more than one or two families in my 40 plus years of living that have ever actually executed this verse. And that includes me. The reason being, it's hard. It is hard to hide much of God's word in your heart that you can have a conversation beyond like five minutes. Right? Or you can kind of the, the conversation might even go to the, the verses that you've memorized and you've long since forgot and we kind of butcher it as we talk about it and laugh. And then we're like, oh, well, this is kind of awkward. We've run out of verses to talk about. How are those cowboys doing? <laughs> How about that gardening? Well, I think it's time to go to the lake and we're just all going to pretend to pretend to pretend not to know any of this. I want to challenge you today. If you really want hope, just dig into God's word and see what he has for you the promises that he has greater than man's opinion, greater than man's philosophy, the very word of God revealed to us and then live it out. Now, should we take these woodenly literal? In some areas of Judaism, they do. They have little boxes tied to their foreheads and on their wrists. But in Exodus chapter 13, verses 6 through 9, this is Moses speaking to the people again talking about a, a particular event. He says, 
Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen with you, and no leaven shall be seen with you in all your territory. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. So so God is setting up this celebration that they're to talk about with their kids. But in verse 9 of Exodus 13, he says, And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. So though we could take it literally, contextually, within the surrounding context, he was using these things as a sign or, or a memorial. So quite honestly, you probably don't actually have to physically bind God's word to your forehead and have these little straps like a bandana. We could get some cool Blue Mountain Baptist ones. You know, it'd be start a new theme or whatever. But you don't necessarily have to have that. Because in all honesty, let's, I mean, most of you, let's just curious as a quick survey, who here has God's word on their phone? All right? So about half. So it really doesn't do me much good to like, tape that right there, right? Other than I would look really awkward in the real world. They're like, wow, there goes your preacher with the phone taped to his head. That's cool. I've got to go to that church, right? That's, that's not really doing you much good. But we kind of live like that, right? Honestly? You, you take the Bible if you're old school and you have the hard copy and you bring it to church and then we take it home and maybe we even break it out in the morning and begin the day. Awesome, I love that. But then we close it. And as we go through the day, we're trying to live for God's word and, and, and fulfill his promises and, or fulfill his commands and live by his promises. But is it really much of an encouragement to you at work, at school, in relationships, in addictions, and all these different things, to have the Bible closed sitting at home, maybe next to your chair. Doesn't really do me much good. I have the joy of preparing uh, a vacation for my uh, mother and father-in-law and myself as well. We're going to Alaska in July, and I get to deal with trying to to figure out part of the vacation last night. That's simply reserving a, uh, a rental car in Anchorage, Alaska in July. And so that was kind of a new deal to me. And I discovered uh, they basically just really uh, put the screws to you, anything that goes on in Alaska in July. So a rental car for the week that normally costs $125 costs about $1,000 in July. Yeah, I kid you not. A good deal was $700, so I thought it would be a good idea to maybe try to use some points uh, from one of my credit cards, and please, I I do have a credit card, I will admit that if you've been through Dave Ramsey, forgive me, I do have a credit card that has points, I thought, well, I'll try to use my points on on my credit card to get a better deal, And, and I was able to do that, but in order to do that, I had to go through about seven people to finally get to my customer service person. And I had, to, you know, the long credit card number. Every time they had to, to check your authentication and, you know, all of the security measures, I had to read that off no less than six times. And by the seventh time, I was really not a nice person. I get, I'll, I'll confess that to you right now. And so God's word really wasn't going through my mind by the time I got to that seventh person. 
but God blessed me anyway. I'm like, I feel really bad when I get off the phone with that poor lady because if she would have known that I was a pastor, she'd like, all right, I'm done with Jesus. <laughs> We're going to try some other religions. It wasn't good. I'll just confess that to you right now. But that's real life, right? Dealing with customer service, especially on technical things, not a fun experience. And we deal with that stuff all day long. Kids that are disobedient, kids that are, are having just all sorts of, of ridiculous sort of explosions again, the lady yesterday shared stuff like, man, I am glad I don't have kids. Uh, they're always poop stories, right? It never fails. But how do you deal with that? Do you just grin and bear it? Do you, do you lose it? Do you just constantly fail and say, well, that's just life? No. The passage here is like, here's how it ought to work. Every day, we're trying to live out God's Word in a way that is just common sense, reality. One commentator by the name of D.A. Carson, and his commentator writes this. He says, the words of God, according to verses 6 and 9, are to be ever before His people. Part of the routines of life, of every normal human activity. This is not a religion of the Sabbath or Sunday, even today. God has something to say about every aspect and every decision that human beings can make. Put simply, just going through your day and say, what does God's Word say? And you'll find yourself constantly opening up the Bible and looking, constantly asking that question. What does God's Word say? Or some people who actually lower God's Word, let's be honest, we believe it is the Word of God. What does God actually say? Not some voice that we're pretending to hear, but what does God say? It's hard, but it's real. That's real faith. Well, he continues on in verse 10, and he says, And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to give to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Notice this, they didn't need a military campaign laid out before them. you just trust me I'll take care of the food and clothing I'll take care of your needs you just follow me seek first my kingdom and all these other things I will add to you you just seek first my kingdom but he warns them when I give you all these blessings take care because be careful in other words because you're going to forget about me how many of you have to hit rock bottom before you really turn back to God and begin seeking Him? How easy is it just to live how you want when things are pretty good? That's me in a nutshell right there, in all honesty. It's really easy to cry out to God when you have nothing else left because you have nothing else left. But when life is good, that really tests the self-control. That tests the heart of whether you want to follow God when it's easy. And life is good. Moms, dads, 
Do you want your kids behaving like that? Do you want them ignoring you? All that you have to say, all the things that you bless them, that you bless them with, but the only time they call you is from jail or from the principal's office? Is that really the kind of relationship you want with your kids? Maybe that is the relationship you had with your parents. Very possible. But even then, in that role, you knew it wasn't right. You knew there had to be something better. But he says, don't forget, don't leave me beside the road, so to speak. Verse 13, it is the Lord your God you shall fear, Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people around you. Verse 15, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. So yes, these were commands, but the Lord was dwelling there. There is both a relationship and a command. People try to artificially separate those two. They are not. Love and obedience are two sides of the same coin. God's relationship and His Word cannot be divided out and separated. He continues, and He gives them a warning. He says, Least the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and He destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test as you tested Him at Massa. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and His testimonies and His statutes, which He has commanded you, and you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you. His commands are not burdensome. They're, they're for your good. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. God is a God that can be trusted by thrusting out all your enemies from before you as the Lord has promised. Notice this. He prom made a promise to a people and that it was fulfilled in the following generations. Sometimes we have to live by faith. Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and He promised that someday He would return. In judgment, actually. And we await his return. Our parents awaited it. Their parents awaited it. We might not see the fulfillment of that promise in our lifetime. But we know the God of history. And we do trust that God exists and he fulfills his promises. So it's not just a promise like, boy, I, I hope that is. We can depend that someday God will return. And as the warning here is, in the New Testament, we're told to be prepared to live ready for His return because He will come in judgment. And this is the part of the Bible that a lot of people don't preach today, but was true in Moses' day and is true today. That God is a just God. Now that sounds great if you're talking about someone else. You're like, awesome, that's good to know. My, maybe your own parents hurt you and, and did horrible things to you and, and that's why it's hard for you to come on Mother's Day because you had such a, a bad mom or a bad dad. But the truth of the matter is we all will stand before the throne of God in His judgment seat. And therefore, we don't have to carry bitterness and anger around with us our entire life. We can just hand that off to God and, and allow, it allows us to live for God in peace instead of trying to get justice ourselves. But the bad news is this, that all of us 
will be there. So it's really easy to think about all the harm that someone else has done, but God is warning his people. And it's a message that we have to teach our kids. There are consequences, not only in this world, but for eternity. God is both a God of love, but a God of justice. Moses is laying this out for the people, and it is their choice whether or not they decided or would decide to follow his word. Just as your choice today. Do you turn to God's salvation and his lordship, or do you just continue down the path that you're on? The challenge is this, the path that you're on, that all of us are on, it's going to end in this world. So whether you like it or not, this path, whatever path that you choose in this world, ends. And then you have to deal with the consequences of that for all of eternity. Here, he says this, bringing it back to sons and daughters, families, verse 20. He says, when your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God has commanded you? In other words, as you're raising up your kids, they're not going to understand God's word. They're kids, right? You're just teaching them, laying the groundwork, living it out. But at some point, they're actually going to ask you, what's this all about? Is this just religion? Is this just made up? Or is this actually true? And their answer or reply is this in verse 21. Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. They're to recount the historical reality of God's miraculous intervention in their lives to save them. And the we there, meaning the people corporately, there will be no people left alive at that point in time, and probably at this point in time, except just a few who actually were eyewitness accounts of that. But those eyewitness accounts were valid and they were passed down from son or or father to son and to to grandson. So just because they weren't all always or would always be eyewitnesses didn't make it any less true. If your parents recount something to you that that occurred in their life and they're somewhat trustworthy, you take it as fact. And then you share it with your grandkids maybe. Here, he says, Share your testimony, essentially. This is what God did in our life. This God who gave us these commands, he's real. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. Once again, this isn't some sort of fable that so many people without knowledge just accuse the Bible of being. He's naming names or, or specific titles that Pharaoh God did this against Pharaoh, an actual leader of a nation in history. So as Moses is recording this and the people who who receive this decide whether or not this is actually God's word, they're making some huge claims here. This God did something in history against, at this point in time, one of the most powerful rulers in the entire existence of the world. That's not something that you can just make up. People will will call you on the carpet for making up a, a, a big lie at that point in time. They could easily say, no, that's clearly not. Moses was never before, in, in our modern times, he was never before Donald Trump. He was never before Vladimir Putin. This is clearly made up, and they would not keep this as God's word if the history within it were not true. 
it would be just set aside. They're making historical claims and their claim of salvation is that God truly acted. Just as you're sitting here today, if God has saved you, you can share your story, your personal story of this is what life was like before I trusted in Christ. And you can share that with your child. This is who I was. And even though today I'm kind of messed up still and, and not perfect, I can tell you there is a difference and people can see it on, in me and they have seen it. This God is real. If, if you don't believe his word, believe me. Believe what he's done in my life. I'm imperfect, I'm still sinful, but he transformed me. He saved me. Don't ever let anyone discount that truth in your life of what God has done in your life. He says he brought us out of Egypt from there and they, they might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give our fathers. Just as we look forward to the coming kingdom, the people were looking forward to this land, this physical land they would receive. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always. They might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us. Notice this living out, we'll close with this. This living out of God's word was done before God. It was their worship. It wasn't a time and place to gather and then they left. They had those. But true worship was daily lived out before the Lord their God within their family as they would explain it to their family, that it wasn't just a bunch of rules, but it was for their good. And then it would be for righteousness. You might have even grown up in a good family household. Well-meaning, moral moms and dads. I'll close with this simple question. Was the word righteousness or holy? ever mentioned, ever discussed. Well, we serve a righteous and holy God. That means set apart, perfect, without sin. This God loves you. And He desires that you be like Him, that you remove sin from your life and be conformed to the image of His Son. Not simply as robots or religious kind of non-thinking people, but for your good. That you're no longer controlled by sin, you're no longer weighed down by that, but that you have an ever-growing relationship with a loving God who loves you and wants to grow closer with you. I pray that as you leave here on Mother's Day, that that is your goal, that is your new starting point as you decide to, to maybe make a fresh start of it this day, that you know this Father, this one true, holy, righteous Father in a greater, deeper way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so very much for this incredible day. I thank you for every life here. I pray that you'll continue to move in my life and draw me closer to you. I pray that you'll move in a mighty way in this community. There might be a, a tremendous revival that people turn back to you for their good and for your glory.
In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.